Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, verse 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. The second part comes from Nehemiah chapter 10, starting in verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And the last part is uh, from 39, uh, verse 39 of the same chapter. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand, Lord, how you were working among the people in the city of Jerusalem, Lord, in Nehemiah's time. Help us to understand, Lord, how you, the same God, is still working in our lives and what we can learn, Lord, from this passage. We thank you, God. We give you all the praise and glory that your scripture is alive. Your word is alive because your Holy Spirit is guiding us through it. So, Lord, we know that there is a word for us today. Either through worship and prayer and um, the reading of scripture or the exposition of scripture, we know that there is something you're trying to tell us, Lord. Trying to lead us closer to you. Encourage us in your love. Lead us in your will. Lead us out in your goodness. So, Lord God, we trust that as we study your word, that you're with us and you're guiding us, that your word does not go out without fruit. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So this week in Nehemiah, we're continuing on this, uh, our study of the journey of faith that the people of Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah, after the walls were built, took as they studied the scripture. So far we've seen this kind of progression um, that has happened over the past few weeks, from chapter 8 now through chapter 10. That as the people of God, they rededicated their city. They wanted to kind of rededicate it right, so they, they wanted to listen to the scripture. And we saw this, this journey over these last weeks that as they listened to the scripture, firstly, their, their sin was exposed. They came in contact with a holy God. And they realized in, in 
in the light of this holy God that they were not faithful. They did not follow. But out of that sin came joy. They remembered God's faithfulness and love, the atoning forgiveness that was coming for them even in the midst of their sin. And then they were drawn again to praxis, which is this practical action, practical change. And so this is kind of the journey of all of us in faith as well, that the, the people of Israel kind of illustrate to us that we often also are encountered by a holy God, and when we're encountered by this God, we realize our sin. But then we're drawn to joy in Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness, there's new life, there's grace. And then from that, we're always drawn to praxis. How do we go out? Where are we to go? What are we to do? What is God calling us to be as we've received his joy? And so we see this kind of, this progression happening over and over again in our life. It's something that goes circular in our life. We are convicted by sin, drawn to joy, led to praxis, and again drawn to sin. And then led to joy and praxis and over and over and over again. And we can see this progression in the people of Israel as well. We read last week in chapter 9 that as they went through this whole journey, they went back to sin. They had unfinished business before God. And so they, we read in chapter 9 this whole chapter of them confessing their sin to God. And this week also we see them circling back again. As they circle back to sin, this week we see that they're circling back to praxis. This whole chapter is about praxis. It's about their practical response to God. They'd experienced joy, they'd, ex they'd confessed their sins, and now they were led to this practical action. And so we see the practical action that they took this week is what is called covenant renewal. They are people of the covenant, and we'll talk more about what covenant means later, but they were people formed by the covenant of their ancestors. And so this week we see them coming back to that covenant and renewing it. In verse uh, 29, we see this. We read, All the people bind themselves together with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commandments, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. So here we read that the people of Israel, after they confessed their sin and drawn to joy, they wanted to write this very formal written oath. Like something that all the people would sign, every prince, everybody would sign this as a sign of their allegiance to God and also the renewing of their relationship to God. And though I doubt any of us have ever written down a covenant like this, you know, the New Testament is not focused on covenant like the Old Testament is and people writing covenants. But for all of us, the idea of covenant renewal is actually an important one. You might go, well, what? We don't ever, I mean... Our church has never written down a formal covenant about what we're going to do for God, and if God, we don't do it, what's going to happen to us? But still, this idea of covenant renewal is an important one for us, because we are in a covenant with God as well, as we'll talk about. And so for us, it's important to understand what it means for us to be in a covenant with God, and how we live out of that covenant with God. For the people of Jerusalem, they realized through the covenant that they belonged to God. And if they belonged to God, then they, they should do what God commands. If they are God's people, they realize that they needed to live as God's command. And that's the same with us as well. If we are given new life in Jesus Christ, 
if we are given his hope and mercy, then the challenge and the joy for our life is to live into that identity that we've been given. Paul says in, uh, in Ephesians to live in a manner worthy of the call you've received. And so the idea here is you've received the call, so live into it. Live a life worthy of it. Live as if you've been given that blessing that you've been made in relationship with God. Live into that. For the people of Jerusalem, they lived out what Paul describes in Romans as being conformed to the world. You know, in Romans 12, Paul says, Don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And the people of Israel, when they read the scriptures, they realized that they had been conformed. That they had taken the shape of the world around them. And that's something very relevant to us as well. Because constantly, I think, we're being challenged to be conformed. You know, the, the world around us wants to bend our, us to its shape, wants us to conform us and shape us to the shape, to the values and the goals and uh, the ways of life around us. So our challenge then is not to be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by changing what we think, by having a new vision for our life. And that's what a covenant kind of gives us. It gives us a new vision of our life. So we're going to talk today about what vision of life the covenant gives us. We're going to talk about both the covenant in the Old Testament, and we're also going to talk about the covenant uh, that we receive in the New Testament as well. And then we're going to talk about what it means for us to live in the covenant. So firstly, we're going to look at this idea of what the covenant meant to the people of Nehemiah's day, the Jerusalemites. And when they wrote this covenant, what, did it, what uh, significance did it have? What meaning did it have? We read in, uh, in 939 that the people of Jerusalem, because of all this, they made a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So, again, they made this very formal document. And they had everybody write it. And this is actually something that is reoccurring in the Old Testament. This idea of a covenant is this idea of a very kind of uh, binding and important and sacred agreement between two or more parties. And it involves both responsibilities and consequences. And this is the way God is related with people since the beginning of the Old Testament. You see that God, throughout the Bible, makes covenants with people. He makes covenants with Noah. He makes a covenant with Abraham. And he makes kind of the central covenant with his people through Moses, through the Ten Commandments. And also we see throughout the Bible, there's all these covenants that people make to God to renew those covenants. We see throughout Chronicles this kind of story of the, the nations of Israel and Judah kind of following God and then stopping to follow God, following and then falling away. And when they came back, they would write these covenants down, saying, we promise before God to do these things. That was kind of the way that they kept in relationship with God. And so we see that in our passage um, it gives us, like, the, the synopsis of what a covenant is. And it has to do with oaths and curses. We see it in our passage that all the people bound themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses. Now, an oath is a solemn promise. 
You know, actually, Jesus in the gospel says don't make too many oaths. Because if you say you're going to do something and don't do something, that's an important promise that you broke. So the first aspect of a covenant is an oath, saying I will do something. And then the other person saying I'll do something. And then there's an aspect of a curse as well. And a curse in this aspect is not just kind of like some, you know, like someone puts a curse on you. It's more of a consequence. Like if you don't meet the covenant, things may happen to you that are not positive. There are consequences to your actions. And we can understand a covenant by a lot of our kind of modern covenants. We can understand our covenant between God and people. So I want to ask uh, Ethan and Julian actually to come up and illustrate an idea of a modern covenant. So if you guys could come up just really quick. Give them a round of applause for embarrassing themselves in public. Okay, so Ethan, here's some money. And here's a, here's a boat. So you guys can kind of like spread out a little bit. Okay, so the idea of a covenant is a, is a sacred agreement that you're entering in that involves blessings and consequences for both people. So let's say that Julian had this awesome, amazing boat to sell. And it was, you know, maybe it was, yeah, like it could be that boat or like, you know, a real boat. Just kind of use your imagination. And Ethan's got some money, not a lot of money, $4, you know. I'm not going to buy a very good boat with $4, but he'll buy something. And so the covenant between them would be that if Ethan wanted to buy the boat and Julian wanted to sell it, he would give the money and there would be an exchange. And they would give it. They're blessed. Ethan gets a boat. Julian gets some money from Boba later. And so they're, they're both happy. They've got smiles on their faces. Everything's great. But let's say Julian decides, huh, I want that boat back. I only got four bucks. I can't do anything with this money. And so he steals the boat from Ethan. Oh, <laughs> violently steals the boat from Ethan. <laughs> so the covenant has been broken. They have broken their, no, don't give it back. You're breaking the covenant, man. You're a, you're a covenant breaker, buddy. So the, the covenant has been broken. They have broken the covenant. And Ethan, um, Julian is the one who broke it. So there are consequences to that. Ethan may call the police and say, someone stole my, my money, my $4. Um, and even though Julian wants to give it back, he, he won't be able to. Or uh, Ethan could take him to court. Or in the worst case scenario, he could go to jail. So go to, go to jail back there. Sorry, man. And then you would be stripped of all the things you had. And Ethan would get it back. You're welcome. So that's the idea of covenant in the Old Testament. Maybe you guys just take a seat over there, and I'll, I'm going to call you back in a second. Give them a round of applause. Part two will come in a second. So that's the idea of covenant in the Old Testament. There is a sacred agreement, and when both people are uh, fulfilling their sides of the covenant, there's a blessing there. It's a blessing when you're fulfilling the covenant, but when one person breaks the covenant... There are consequences to that. So we see in the, the Old Testament, the covenant was, if you obey, then you will be blessed. And if you disobey, you will be cursed. And the mediator of the law, of this covenant, was the law. So if you obey the Ten Commandments, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be following God. That's how, you're supposed, that's how you show you love God. And if you don't obey the Ten Commandments 
you are cursed. And the curse was separation from God. So that's what we see the covenant, the old covenant is in the Old Testament. Yet we see through the Bible that God is perfectly faithful to this covenant. God says to his people, when they make this arrangement, I will love you. I will bless you. I will be with you. I will protect you. And the people say, I will follow your commandments. I will serve you. But the people don't serve God, but God still loves and blesses and serves and is faithful. And we see through the Old Testament that there's hints in this, in this love, that there's a new covenant coming. The prophets say that there's going to be a new covenant where not just one people have relationship with God, but all people can be included in the covenant. And the this new covenant is fulfilled when Jesus comes. When Jesus Christ comes, he instigates this new covenant. He firstly is the only one that can fulfill the law. All of God's people could not obey. So they were not blessed. Even though God blessed them over and over again, they would be separated from him. But one person does fully obey Jesus Christ. And also through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, through his death and through his resurrection, he gives us the blessing, even in the midst of the curse. He takes the curse upon himself and he gives the blessing to us. So the new covenant then is different. The new covenant is mediated through Jesus. And the new covenant is, if you, you are blessed, so obey. The old covenant is if you obey, you're blessed. But the new covenant in Jesus Christ is you are blessed, obey. And so I'm going to ask my, uh, my helpers to come up again and illustrate. You don't need the boat anymore. So um, that's the old covenant, man. So we're, we're moving on to the new. Okay, so uh, Julian, you're going to represent um, God. So awesome. And Ethan, you are representing us as people. So you don't need to hold those right now, but eventually you can, you'll, you'll, got, you'll get them eventually. So in the new covenant, we are blessed, and then we're called to obey. So basically, Julian represents in this God in Jesus Christ, and Ethan represents um, humanity. And so basically, what we see in the scriptures is that God in Jesus Christ says to humanity, I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you uh, through many things. So the first, I'm going to bless you through forgiveness. And give that to Ethan. You're blessing him. And I'm going to bless you with salvation. And I'm going to bless you with, I will defeat the powers of sin and death and the devil for you. And I will restore relationship with God for you. And I will give you my love. I will give you my grace. I will give you new life. I will give you worth. I will give you hope. And I will give you assurance, a pardon. You never have to be worried that you are God's person again. And in response, we, um, as people are called to say yes to that. And so you can give that to, to Julian. Just to say simply yes. I say yes to this. I receive the blessing you give me. 
But the problem is that God is known throughout the whole history of the Israelites is that eventually, and you can put those just down for a second. Eventually, we, as represented by Ethan, are going to say no. We're going to take that yes from God, and we're going to rip it up. And we're going to say, whether in, through our consciously or unconsciously, we're going to say, I don't want to follow you, just throw them. We're going we're gonna to take that yes, and we're going to destroy it. So, according to the old covenant, Ethan, uh, representing humanity, would be punished. He'd go to jail. But in the new covenant, Ethan is not punished. Ethan receives the blessings. And Julian is punished. Julian represents Jesus Christ. He takes the curse of sin and death. And we, even though we are disobedient, even though we break the covenant, even sometimes we do it in a way that is blatant to God, saying, God, I don't want anything you have for me. Still, in Jesus Christ, if we've said yes to him, we have the blessing. And that's the amazing thing about the new covenant. Give these guys a round of applause. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your help. And so cleanly as well. Appreciate that. Awesome. So that's the blessing of the covenant that we, if you've ever said yes to Jesus Christ, if you believe, even though your faith is feeble, you have this blessing. You have the blessing of being in this new covenant that God has established through Jesus Christ for you. And we simply respond by our feeble yes. But then even in the midst of our no, God still gives us the blessing. That's the amazing thing. We are blessed, so obey. And that then leads to a different type of obedience. It leads us from not doing things because we have to, because if we don't do them, we're going to get cursed, we're going to lose God's blessing, we're going to lose his love, we're going to lose his favor, we're going to lose his goodness. But it leads us to serve him because we want to. Because we've been blessed. I mean, just think of people you really love. That they love you well and you love them back. You don't love them because you have to. You love them because you want to. And that's the same dynamic with grace. And when you love somebody because you want to, you actually love them better than you have to. If you're just serving because of the law, because you have to do it or else you'll be cursed then you're going to only do what you have to to get, it, to, to get the blessing. But if you are blessed and loved well, you will love well in return. And so that's the covenant that actually we have. And there's curses to that. There's consequences. The consequence for us is that if we're not living by God's way, even though you've said yes to, to, um, to faith, if we're not living in God's way, then these, we just don't feel these. We're not receiving them. They're still here. They're still ours, given to us through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, but we don't take them up. We don't make them a part of our lives. We don't remember them and uh, take strength from them. We don't make them central to who we are. We just let them be and sit there. And then we go, well, I don't experience grace. Why can't, why can't I experience grace? It's because we're not actively taking it up in our life, receiving the blessings already given to us in Jesus Christ. So we are a part of the covenant. We are a, part, we are a covenant people. And like the Israelites, 
we are challenged regularly just to renew our covenant with God. And the way that we're given to do that is not through a covenant, not by writing down a big list of things we're going to do, even though there's an intentionality to that that's important. But for us, it's just a daily coming back home, a daily coming back to God, a daily intentionally placing God first in our lives. So in the next couple minutes, we're just going to talk about how we can live that way, how we can live in the covenant. And we see for the people of Jerusalem, it involved, firstly, a paradigm shift, letting the covenant shift our paradigms. Now, a paradigm is a, a kind of a, a framework of written and unwritten rules that direct actions. So all of us are influenced and following paradigms in our lives right now. Some may be from our family who set certain paradigms that we're living. Some may be from media and other inf- social media and movies, uh, music, etc. that kind of uh, sets our paradigm. Um, Others could be influences of friends and other people we look up to that sets our paradigm. And for us as well could be the Bible and God's word setting our paradigm. But often there's a paradigm conflict in our lives. And we can feel that conflict. We can feel it because we we don't want to obey God. We can feel that conflict when we're going, I just want to do that. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to pray. There's a paradigm conflict there. Yeah, I don't want to be obedient in this way. Paradigm conflict. There are two paradigms that are fighting or conflicting in each other, and that's creating this conflict in our life. And so the challenge we see for the Israelites was they wanted to have a paradigm shift. They wanted their paradigms to be aligned with God's will and way, and that's why they wrote their covenants. Now, a lot that's in this covenant, if you read all through chapter 10, you're going to see a lot that is not relevant to your life, you know. So, like, things like sacrificing at the temple, uh, you know, not marrying people from other tribes, things like that. They're not going to be immediately applicable. They're applicable to rural people living in ancient times. But the purpose of the covenant is very applicable to us. Because the purpose of the covenant is to live a God-centered life. Through all the rules, they were covenanting to have God at the center of their lives. And that's really the challenge for us as well. For us, we are challenged by Jesus to follow him. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about what following Jesus means. Because if we took it literally, following Jesus would mean growing a beard, if you can, you know, um, getting some good robes, getting some awesome robes at the, wherever you get a robe online somewhere, um, you know, finding 12 buddies or, to hang out with, uh, going into the, um, you know, desert for 40 days and hanging out, hang, walking around modern Jerusalem, teaching people. That's what it would mean if we literally said, if, if we went, okay, follow him, okay, that's what I, gotta, I gotta be a carpenter, gotta learn that skill somewhere in the city, which might be hard. But we know that when he says, follow me, he's not saying, you know, do exactly everything I did. But he's saying, have a paradigm shift. Let my example and my teaching and my work change your paradigm. Change, who you, change what you think. Change what you value. So when we are called to follow Jesus, we're called to ask ourselves, if Jesus is really Lord... 
What does that mean? What does that mean right now to my life? If he's Lord, what does it mean? How does it challenge my values and commitments? How does it change the way I use time and resources? How does it change the way I treat people? That's the paradigm shift that we're constantly challenged by when, when we're called to follow Jesus. It's this different way of thinking. It's a different way of looking at the world. It's a different way of responding. And we're going to fail at that paradigm shift over and over and over again. But the joy in the new covenant is we're called again to receive the blessing. If I'm forgetting to love people, I'm called again to receive grace. To receive it on my, in, in my own life and then to give it to others. If I have forgotten about my salvation, I'm called just to go back and receive it again. To remember what Jesus has done for me. And then to share it with other people as well. If I've forgotten that I have a new life in Jesus Christ, I'm called just to receive it. And then live it out again. To live a life worthy of the calling that I have received. And that's our challenge as well on a daily basis. We don't have to do it by writing a, a, an official document. We just do it by coming back to God. On our knees through prayer. Seeking his word again. Seeking community again. Seeking humility in our response to him. And so this leads then to our commitment to God. When we look at the second way we're called to live in covenant, we're called simply to, we're called to be challenged to commit, to fully commit. You know, the challenge of the, the Israelites was that they had kind of one foot in and one foot out. You know, they, they, they wanted God for some things. They appreciated the covenant in some ways. So they wanted to keep some things, but they also wanted other gods. They also wanted other ways of life. They wanted to do things their way, but they also kind of wanted some things of God's way as well. And I think that is incredibly kind of relevant to our challenges today. Because I think if we're Christians, or if you've been coming to church for a while, there's some things about, you know, the godly life, about the scriptures, about faith in Christ that you like, that, I, that we love. But there's some things we don't. Especially when it gets hard. When it gets hard to live our faith. When... It challenges our lifestyle. When it challenges uh, the way we uh, relate to other people, when it challenges our future and our plans and our direction, then it gets a little bit more inconvenient to follow our Lord. And that's our challenge in the covenant, is when we remember the covenant again, to simply commit. To go fully, instead of being in and out, just to just jump all in and say, God, today, for this moment, in this time, I am all in. I, what is it going to look like today to try to be all in? Later today, I might take a step out. But I'm going to try to stay all in. And tomorrow, I'm going to try to stay all in. I'm going to try to be all present in what Jesus is calling me to. And so what does that mean then for us to be committed? It means the same thing that it meant to the Israelites. The Ten Commandments is a guide to us. So we see that one way of being committed is worshiping God alone. What does it mean to, for us to worship God in our life? And then secondly, to worship God in humility. Just to simply bow ourselves before him in humility. Not thinking we know the way, but allowing God to know the way. And then eliminating blaspheming and purity in speech and thought. Honoring God in our life. Honoring God in what we say and what we do. And then also... We see that we're called to observe the Sabbath. We're called to rest. We're called to take God's 
um, command to just rest and renew on a regular basis. We're called to care for family and honor those in authority. We're called to eradicate the spirit of anger and resentment and callousness and violence and bitterness. We're called to maintain chastity in thought and deed. We're called to practice right stewardship and show charity. We're called to live truthfully and pursue truth. And lastly, we're called to resist uh, any type of envy and greed. So that's a place where we start. Because we might go, well, what does it mean to be commitment, committed? And also commitment can be kind of this thing that we just never feel like we're doing enough of. But remember, in the new covenant, we're called to, to be blessed and then obey. So, but that involves commitment. So we're called to remember our commitment. And then lastly, just remember God's commitment to us. A covenant is a two-way street, like I mentioned before. It involves responsibilities from those who are making covenant in one way, but also responsibilities the other way. And so when you are in covenant from God, remember what God gives to you. Remember his commitment to you. Remember his love for you. That's what keeps us in covenant. If we were a covenant, in a covenant with God that was constantly mad at us, we could never do enough to please a God who never really cared for us and only cared for what we did, that would be a very cold covenant to live in. But we live in a covenant with a God who is incredibly passionately in love with you, who wants the best for you, who wants to seek the goodness for you and lead you into his good ways of life. And so whenever you are struggling with commitment, whenever you cannot see your way ahead, remember God's commitment to you. Remember his love for you, and that will give you courage to go on. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that we are in this covenant with you. If we have just said yes to you, if we just say yes to you, even if we come back to you and we say no later, we know that just simply believing and confessing that you are Lord is faith enough for you to to give us new life in you. And even though later we are unfaithful to that covenant commitment, we are so grateful that you give us life and you continue to give us life, that you don't give us as we deserve. So help us to be faithful because of your blessing. Lord, in our lives, you know exactly the places where we are in and out in our commitment to you. You know exactly the places where we are struggling to have in our paradigms or influenced by other paradigms. You know the exactly the places, Lord, where we are disobedient and running from you. Lord, would you help us to renew our commitment to you? Would you help us, Lord, to come back to the covenant we have with you? That you bless us so that we can obey. We thank you, Lord God. We give you all the blessings and, and glory. You are an amazing God. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's rise. Not only are we saying our yes to God, but to uh, remember his goodness in our life, uh, to continue to be faithful to him as he's faithful to us. So let's just sing the song again as we learn.
Friends, I encourage you to go from this place uh, living in the covenant. If you have said yes to Christ, live in the assurance of the covenant that you are in through the grace of Jesus Christ. If you've never received that blessing, if you've never confessed to God and just said, God, you are Lord, and never believed, I encourage you as well to come and receive his goodness. Enter into the covenant with God. Go in the grace of God who created you. Go in the blessing of Christ who saves you. Go in the blessing of the Holy Spirit that guides you now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Have a great week. All right. All right, let's just do it again. Goodness of God. It's the new favorite song. Oh,